Winter thrills await at Winterfest at Nemecolon. Join the fun on Saturday, February 10th for a day of fun-fueled winter festivities like skiing and snowboarding, snow tubing, ice skating, and snow bikes. You'll be able to meet the Nemecolon Dog Sled Team, try your hand at ice bowling, compete in the out-cold race, and finish your day with a brew by the fire at the peak. A winner of wonders waiting for you at Nemecolon's Winterfest. Experiences are for overnight guests and members. For more information, visit Nemecolon.com. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another broadcast on the Soul of America Radio. Tonight, you're listening to Hope and Healing, a journey to wholeness, with your host, J.R. Thicklin. Tonight's broadcast is brought to you by Blog Talk Radio, hosted and produced by the Soul of America Radio. Comments made on tonight's broadcast do not necessarily reflect the views of Blog Talk Radio, the Soul of America Radio, or its host. Hope and Healing takes you from a place of pain, abuse, violence, rejection, and abandonment to a place of hope, healing, and power. All aboard with your author, activist, advocate, and friend, man of purpose himself, and your host for the evening, Mr. J.R. Uh, 
definitely achievable and is possible and is part of that journey to wholeness. So call a friend, call a neighbor, tell them to join us here on the air. If you're listening tonight by way of the Internet, you're listening at www.soulofamericaradio.com. Simply go there to the tab that says Open Healing, hit Live Show, and you get me right away. If you are by chance calling in by way of telephone, you can call in at area code 323-784-9638. Area code three two three seven eight four nine six three eight. That is how you reach us. That is how you make it happen today. And we're so glad that you're here. I hope that you have the quality that we're looking for. We are trying a another setup. I am actually calling you live. I'm here in St. Petersburg, Florida. I am here uh, attending the National Domestic Violence Fatality Review Conference. And uh, day one was today, and it was quite uh, informative, quite uh, uh, and uh, quite informative, and very much filled with great information and an opportunity to network with some of the leading voices. Around the country and even around the world, excuse that, even around the world, we had opportunity to listen to different ones that are here tonight. And so tonight, as I open up the show, I want you to be a part of this that is going on even right now. Tonight has been about hope and healing, a journey to wholeness. Um, I want you to know that I'm excited uh, about what is going on as we continue to make our push toward this issue of eradicating domestic violence. Uh, It is a goal. It is something that we will obtain. It is something that we will continue to pursue. Uh, And so we will go forth uh, inside of our endeavors and we'll make it happen. So once again, you can call in area code 323-784-9638. That is how you can listen in. If you have a question and a comment, simply hit the number one. On your keypad that lets our producer know that you want to come on the air, and we will bring you on the air. You don't have to give your name, but we'll bring you on the air, and you can express your question and your comment. So I just want to say, uh, you know, uh, this is an opportunity to do great things. It's an opportunity to make a difference, and we want to make sure that difference is made in such a great way. Once again, I'm your host, J.R. Thicklin, and I'm so glad that you've joined us here on the show tonight. And uh, we're going to deal with tonight about the issue of domestic violence from pain to power. Once again, we're going to talk about the fact of the role of, uh, now the role of faith, and we're going to talk about so many things that is important uh, inside of addressing this issue of domestic violence. And I think that uh, it is crucial that we address this. I want to start off the night with a few things tonight, um, and I want to go back to something you may have heard me say before, and I want to go to an article that was written by John Shore uh, some years ago. And John Shore uh, wrote a piece that why pastors struggle with confronting domestic violence, why pastors struggle with confronting domestic violence. And then uh, I'm going to read it verbatim what he says. He said, because of the writing I do on domestic violence uh, in the church uh, to abuse wives, stay with him, those things, I hear from a true, I hear from a truly disheartening number of women who write in to relate their stories of pastors who, in one way or another, advise them to stick with their abusive husbands, to be more submissive, a better sex partner, to pray more, etc. So I started thinking about the weirdness of so many women having such similar stories, when I personally have never known a single pastor whose moral compass was so thoroughly weak, tweak that he actually thought it was in any way acceptable for a husband to abuse his wife. John goes on to say, I've known a lot of pastors that I have real difficulty believing that one of them tacked 
factly uh, or otherwise, would ever condone domestic violence. And yet here were all these women telling me that that's pretty exactly what happened with their pastor. And I know those women were not lying or somehow mistaken about what had happened to them. When a person is writing the real raw truth of their lives, their words take a, a simple clarion integrity that even the most accomplished fiction writers struggle to convincingly fake. There could be no doubting the, the veracity of these women's story. Their pastors really had poo-pooed their fears and concerns and Bible in hand had essentially pushed them back into the swinging arms of their abusive husbands. Which could only mean that the pastors whom I couldn't imagine doing such a terrible thing, or at least pastors very much like them, had in fact done that terrible thing. But how? How could these good, loving, well-intentioned men give advice that's so manifestly, egregiously, cruelly wrong? And that's what led Catherine and I thinking of the following six reasons that they might. And I want you to listen uh, very carefully. So those of you that are, are hearing me right now for, uh, for the first time and you're coming on the air, uh, I am reading here a piece that was written by John Shore. Uh, and this uh, piece talks about why pastors struggle uh, to confront domestic violence. And that's what I want to uh, deal with that now because it's so important to do. And so inside of that, I want you to recognize uh, that this is a real issue. This is an issue that we must address. So um, what I want to do real quickly is that I am going to come back with those six reasons why pastors struggle in addressing domestic violence, and I will be coming in right back, right after this commercial break. You're listening to Open Healing, The Journey to Wholeness. This is your host, J.R. Thicklin, and I'll be right back after this commercial break. is the soul of America Radio. Thank you for listening to J.R.L. Thicklin, Hope and Healing, A Journey to Wholeness. We feature every Monday night a show solely devoted to people that are going through abuse some type of problem in your lives that you can't work out. We mainly focus on domestic violence, the cancer in our lives. Join J.R. Thicklin, your host, here every Monday night at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern, 8 o'clock p.m. Central, right here on the Soul of America Radio. You can contact Jay every Monday night at 323-784-9638. Or you can listen to him online. Just follow at soulofamericaradio.com and listen for look for live streams. And that way you can speak or listen, whichever your choice may be. Thank you for joining us tonight. You're listening to Hope and Healing, a journey to wholeness with your host, J.R. Thicklin, on the Soul of America Radio. 
If you're listening via internet and you want to speak to the host, please dial 323-784-9638 and press 1 to be connected to the host. This is the soul of America Radio. Here's your host, J.R. Thicklin. Journey of Holiness. This is your host, J.R. Thickland, and I'm so very glad that you've joined us here tonight on the Soul of America Radio Network. And once again, if you're joining us for the very first time, this is a platform that is designed with you in mind. We address the issues of domestic violence and the issues of, uh, if you would, uh, brokenness and rejection and those type of uh, issues that we do. And tonight, we're talking tonight, is an open line, but we start off tonight dealing with the issues of the spiritual impact of domestic violence, and especially when we deal with pastors who may be ill-equipped to handle domestic violence calls or domestic violence situations. So having said that, we start off by reading a uh, piece that was written by John Shore, who was a clergy himself. He talked about why pastors struggle with confronting domestic violence. I'm hoping that you're getting the quality that I desire. Uh, once again, I am here in St. Petersburg, Florida tonight. Uh, I'm here uh, as a part of a the National Domestic Violence Fatality Review Conference here, and there are people here from all over the world. And I do mean all over the world. Uh, we have people here from uh, not only England, we have people here from uh, other countries, Mexico, uh, 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 I believe I heard someone say Pakistan and other places, Portugal. We have people here, uh, and of course, from the different states within the United States. This is very crucial inside our dealing here tonight. And so, what I want to say to you tonight is that. If you want to call in tonight, if you like to have a, uh, if you like to speak to uh, me tonight, you can simply hit the number one on your keypad, and we'll make sure that you get a chance to come on a line. Just simply hit one that lets our producer know that you want to come on the line, and that is what we're hoping that we'll get a chance to see that you'll get a chance to be a part of it and be a part of what is happening. Uh, so I want to go back to. Just uh, the reasons that John Shore give uh, about why uh, pastors find it hard to address or confront domestic violence. Uh, and so that is what's very important. So I want to get back to those six reasons. And before I do that, I want to say to those of you that uh, may follow us, we have a number of ways that you can follow us. Follow us. You can follow us even on Facebook. We have a Facebook page, Domestic Violence it Is Your Business, as well as we have a Facebook page that addresses uh, uh, is called Destiny by Choice 2 Fellowship. That is our page there of inspiration, hope, a page where uh, you will find a great uh, uplifting inspirational page there as well. I want to get back to the issue here, and the issue at hand is dealing with uh, this article that John Shore wrote some years ago. And here's the six things that, uh, should I say, that he wrote as it relates to why, does, why pastors struggle with confronting domestic violence. His first reason is that domestic violence is fundamentally unbelievable. Like all true evil, domestic violence is basically incomprehensible. Most people find it simply inconceivable that any man would systematically victimize his own wife and children. 
the monstrousness of it renders it unimaginable. So I think it's easier for pastors to, in fact, fail to imagine it. When faced with a woman saying that that her husband is abusing her, her pastor uh, must sometime immediately and even instinctively assume that in some fundamental way, the woman must be mistaken. He assumed that her perception is suspect and that she's exaggerating, misunderstanding, rushing to unsupportable conclusions. She's too upset, too emotional. He hears a woman complaining that her husband is abusing her as he would the same woman complaining that a sasquash keeps eating up her uh, roses. And so inside of dealing with this, this is a very interesting dynamic. He goes to say it's just sort of not possible. Must be an ape that escaped from the zoo. Must be a uh, bipedal deer wearing fox fur coat. Must be a bear desperate for sweet-smelling breath. Must be anything but a sasquatch. Nothing else makes sense. This is the reasons that he has given why he believed that women, uh, that, that well, why pastors do not confront domestic violence. Second thing, he said, wife abusers are master manipulators. He said, I've known guys who I knew were beating their wives, and while I was talking with them, I could not forget, I could not for the life of me see it in them. Guys who abuse their wives and children are typically the friendliest, most sincere, open, warm, kind, generous, good-natured people you ever want uh, filling your hat with a horse crap when you're not looking. Next to a wife abuser, the most successful car salesman in the world is a groveling blubberer in a confessional booth. Wife abusers are sociopaths. They could talk the stink off of a skunk. And guess who, who's at the top of that list of people? The abusers determine the food. Exactly, the family pastor, who's very much inclined to love and trust people because most pastors don't stand a chance against a perpetrator of domestic violence. These are the things that have been said by him, uh, John Shore, when he addressed this situation. I want to start with number two now, but I want to open it up because I want to hear from you that are listening tonight. Those of you that believe, or maybe you yourself, or maybe you have a friend or coworker, or someone that you know that perhaps was in an abusive relationship and hopefully not even now, but perhaps one that is in one now, in what is the influence of the church on their staying or their leaving? What is the influence of the church on being able to be a bridge to their uh, safety and their healing versus a barrier? Area code 323-784-9638. That's how you reach us. Area code 323-784-9638. That is how you reach us here. If you like to uh, have a question or comment, please hit the number one on your keypad, and that lets our producer know that you want to get on the air. So, uh, I want to make sure that that is the case, and uh, I want you to join in today. If you want to get on the air, once again, hit the number one, and I want to get you on the air tonight because I want to entertain your question and your comment because it's crucial. It's a crucial question inside of this. Think about it. Most people trust and believe what they hear their pastors say or their faith leaders say. They believe it. Uh, so uh, I, in turn, have to say that it is incumbent upon us that we make sure that pastors and uh uh are equipped to be on this they're, they're equipped to address this matter uh is that they're equipped to actually be able to speak to what is going on in the life of these individuals and so i want to say this right now from the jump street that we have to understand that this is a crucial position to be in so when we look at this we must 
uh, understand that uh, pastors have to be equipped to address domestic violence. We know of people that are abused. We know of folks all the time. Many of you that may be listening, you have girlfriends, you have cousins, you have folks that you know that have been in an abusive relationship, and oftentimes you take the stance that it's not my business. I don't want to get involved. Um, you know, not today. I don't really want to have anything to say about this. But I challenge you today to not only recognize that um, this is an issue that you need to stand up about. This is an issue that many times people need help. They need support. They need to know that someone is there for them. And that's what we try to make sure that, that, is, that we're designed with, is to make sure that's happening. So as we do so, uh, as we do so, uh, I want to make sure and uh, that you and I are equipped in order to deal with this. And so I want to... Uh, say to you tonight that as you address this issue and as we address this issue together, that we are ready to deal with the things that comes with it. Now, I'm going to give you a scenario, and this scenario is really based upon a true story. And the scenario is the fact that here was a victim who was a victim of domestic violence. Uh, she was a faithful churchgoer. She went to church uh, religiously, but she was somewhat concerned about her pastor. She was concerned about telling her pastor what she was going through, mainly out of shame, mainly out of the fact did not want her pastor to have a different uh, perception of her or her uh, abuser, which was her husband. And so because of that, she hesitated before she ever said anything to her pastor. She hesitated. And because uh, she hesitated for a period of time, of course, the husband felt somewhat secure because she hadn't gone to the pastor. Well, lo and behold, she finally goes to her pastor very shamefully and said, uh, with her head bowed down, said, I really need to talk to you about something, and it's difficult for me to talk to you about it and everything, but I need you to hear me out. As this particular victim went to have a conversation with her pastor, and she began to tell him, about the abuse that she had been suffering in the relationship, the pastor in return responded with these words, oh my God, I'm so sorry to hear this. This just doesn't sound like Jim. This doesn't sound like him at all. Did you guys have an argument? What did you do to make him upset? Why? I mean, come on. I mean, I've known Jim. I've known Jim from the time he was a young kid. He grew up in this church. His parents are members of this church. This just doesn't sound like him. Of course, this member who had shared this with this pastor was kind of crushed because she had finally built up the courage to share this story with him. She let him know what was going on only for her to get from the pastor. It's unbelievable. I find it hard to believe that he could do this. I know his family. He's incapable of doing this. Now, undoubtedly, this pastor did not mean any harm whatsoever, but his words are irreversible. They're irreversible because what he basically said to her was the fact that this can't be, and almost as to the fact that he was incapable, Jim was incapable of being that person. Jim was incapable of committing abuse, and that is the message that he sent loud and clear. There are people that are here, and I know that I have people even on the line that are listening tonight. They've come through domestic violence, 
and many of them are victorious. They 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 turn their pain into power. They're doing things with their lives. They've ex- they've excelled for a great uh, to great levels. Uh, many of them took their experience, and many of them now are, are are some of the best workers in the field because of the fact they know the insight. They understand the turmoil. They understand the dynamics of domestic violence. We'd like to hear from those individuals tonight that are there. If you're calling in tonight and you'd like to be a part of the show, simply call area code 323-749-638, area code 323-749-638. And uh, if you'd like to speak or be a guest, simply hit the number one on the keypad. And that lets our producer know you're ready to get on the air, and we'll get you on the air as soon as uh, possible there. You don't have to give your name if you don't like, but definitely we invite your conversation. We invite you to be a part of this tonight. Once again, Erico 323-784-9638. Now, as I continue with the story there, and I wait for the callers that may want to share with us uh, uh, of their experience or share with us or may even have a question, simply hit number one on your keypad, and um, we will... Uh, be notified by you, the producer will then let you in on this show. And so, as I say this, this particular uh, member of the church shared this with pastor. The pastor responded that way. She felt crushed. She felt betrayed. She felt as if something was wrong with her, only because of the words that came from her pastor. The words. He was a member then that began to avoid eye contact, even with her pastor. Because in her mind, she felt that the pastor had sided with her perpetrator. Now, surely domestic violence is one of those travesties. And no one likes it. No one benefits from it. No one can go around saying, hey, you know, uh, this is something I love. Not at all. But it's difficult when you are in that situation and you're suffering in silence and you get the courage to reach out to get help, only to see that that help has doubted you, that that help has made you feel as if there's something that you did to cause this. This is where power with the right knowledge and education makes the greatest of difference because domestic violence is a serious problem. And a person that is a victim of domestic violence, first thing they need to do is be they need to be believed. They need to be believed. They don't need to be questioned. They don't need to be um, uh, suspect. They need to be believed. Because the reality is, is that this is the issue here that impacts them in such a way that it changes the, the, the dynamics, if you would, of their whole entire life. So they need to be believed. They need to be trust. They need you to trust what they're saying. So now, as we look at the situation, I want to go back to, as I was reading to you from John Shore. John Shore, talk about, he talks about uh, reasons why pastors don't confront domestic violence. And I gave you the first two reasons that was kind of interesting. John said that domestic violence is fundamentally unbelievable. Then he said that um, wife abusers are masterful manipulators. But the third reason why pastors... Uh, from John's standpoint, does not confront domestic violence is that they think spousal abuse only happens in certain kind of families. How many times have we, in our own mind, we have already uh, constructed in our mind and our imagination what a victim looks like, the perfect victim? So we think of the perfect victim oftentimes as being um, 
uneducated. Uh, we think of the perfect victim as being a person who's uh, who doesn't have much means. We think of the perfect victim as the person who is somehow or another, you know, uh, promiscuous. Uh, we think of the perfect victim as being so many stereotypes. You know, she has children. She's a single mother. She's and we we draw all these pictures in our mind. But there's no such thing as the perfect victim. It's no typical victim. Victim of domestic violence come in all shapes, forms, and sizes. They come from every walk of life, from every part of the globe. They are that. They are. They become all of those things. But you got to understand, victims of domestic violence can be highly educated. They can be smart attractive. They could be married or single. They could be rich or poor. They could be anyone. And because of the fact that so often we have pigeonholed what a victim looks like, we are oblivious to the signs of people that may be hurting. Individuals that are suffering in silence. And when they suffer in silence, oftentimes it just eats away at them. That is the reason why I believe that support has to be there. The church has to be an intricate part of addressing the issue of domestic violence. Because so many times, people of faith, they are so informed by the church, they they, they, they hang on to every word. And oftentimes they stay locked in because of the judgment of the church. Oh, that's right, the judgment of the church. The church can be very judgmental as well. And so tonight, when John when John began to talk about this third reason, I want to read this reason to you that he talks about pastors think uh, spousal abuse only happened in certain kind of families. He says this. He said most people still have the idea that spousal abuse only uh, only uh, spousal abuse only or primarily happens in certain type of families, in poor families mainly, in the kind of families whose members have no particular uh, reason to care one way or another what anyone thinks of them. See, this stigma has this stigma has stuck in the minds of people for so long, and even pastors. Watch this. He goes on to say. He said, I used to know a handsome, extremely successful lawyer who regularly beat his beautiful, extremely successful lawyer wife. He struck her on the back and stomach where the bruises wouldn't show. And when she finally began telling others of her suffering, most responded like she was the Queen of England, complaining about the blinds in one of the palace sunrooms, a concern perhaps, but not exactly a crisis. It just didn't make sense to people that a couple so rich, good-looking, and successful could be involved in the sort of dreadful behavior that most of us have no trouble whatsoever associating with white, poor white trash. And pastors are just as susceptible as the rest of us are to unfortunate assumptions of classism. What is he saying there? He's saying that pastors oftentimes find themselves on the judgmental end as well, that here's a tape recorder that's playing in their mind about what a victim of domestic violence looks like, and we've got to understand it's beyond that. I want to bring in a caller today that is calling in, and I'm so glad that she's calling in today, and I'm going to bring in caller number ending in 2928. I want to welcome you tonight to Hope and Healing, a journey to wholeness. You're on the air. Thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. My question, um, my name is Andromeda, and my question was for um, when it comes to a victim coming up to a pastor, because it really takes a lot for the person to 
reach out for help been victimized. So when that person reaches out to that pastor, what would you recommend? How would you recommend for that pastor to handle that situation? Just with the handling the situation between the victim and the pastor, like what would you recommend they would be something that they can do to kind of not make the person feel judged and, and feel safe enough to open up to them? That's a real good question, and this is what I would do because this is one of the things I do teach, and I do teach this in our trainings and this type of thing. Number one thing that a pastor needs to do is, number one, is that they need to believe the victim. So when I say believe the victim, before they can believe the victim, they need to listen. So they need to listen uninterruptly to the victim and what the victim has to say. Number two, they need to acknowledge the strength of the victim and the courage. They need to applaud the fact that they came to them. In other words, they need to say something like, I'm so glad that you came to me. I know that it took a lot to do so. Okay. Thirdly, what the pastor needs to do, do is not try to solve that situation right there on their own. The pastor needs mm-hmm. to listen very carefully, unjudgmentally. The pastor needs to also be very careful about gestures that they make. Sometime in that effort to even show concern, you know, uh, they go overboard and said, well, I can't believe that rascal did something like that. I'm telling you, mm-hmm. I, I can't wait to. I can't wait to get my hands on him. I can't wait to tell him. And what the pastor needs to understand is that the victim did not come to him necessarily because of the fact they wanted him to get their hands on the perpetrator or even speak to them. So what that pastor can do is begin to ask that victim, okay, what is it that you would like for me to do? What is it that you need to be the one to drive that? Thirdly, I mean, probably fourthly, I've lost count, is that what the pastor does not need to do as well. It's the pastor need to understand that they're not to actually share with that perpetrator that the husband or significant other or the victim without that victim permission. In other words, if the victim gives him permission to talk to them, and the pastor may say, what would you like for me to do? Would you like for me to talk to them? And the victim said, no, pastor, please don't talk to him because I think it only make it worse. The pastor needs to adhere to that. Next thing the mm-hmm. pastor needs to do is, is after asking, is there anything in particular that you need, is that the pastor needs to be aware of other local resources that may be there for them. If that parishioner or victim is in need of shelter, the pastor needs to know what the numbers are out there for the domestic violence shelters. If nothing else, the pastor definitely needs to know where it's a safe haven for this particular victim. So the pastor needs to be willing to be led by the victim in this case, need to be willing to be not only led by the victim, but the pastor needs to be willing to make the next steps along with the victim, assuring the victim that we're with you, we're standing with you, and we're here for you if you need us. That is, in a okay. nutshell, what the pastor should do initially. Time is mm-hmm. not, special pastor who's not equipped, it's not time to try to do counseling, you mm-hmm. know, uh, at that point. Because the fact of the matter, in some cases, the victim is not coming to the pastor because she wants counseling right then. She's coming because she needs to She needs to share it. She wants him to know. She wants him to know how to pray. And most of all, she wants him to know what's going on. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a matter of I've, I've got it off my chest. Someone that I trust know. I know that I have them praying for me. Other times, a victim may say, Pastor, could you talk to them? You know, could you talk to them? But, you know, in most cases, when a victim comes to their pastor, they're looking, they're listening, they're looking for 
They're looking to be heard. They're looking for guidance. And they're looking for support. And that's what's important. Thank you Are for you there, answering Adamana? my question. Yeah, I'm here. I said thank you for answering my question. Really, oh, you're more than really welcome. Informative. And I also have you, where you, sometimes the pastors will throw the situation out into the sermon and not necessarily pointing out that person. And that would be something that I would like hope that the pastor wouldn't do. But sometimes certain situations are put out into the sermon. So. Here's the problem with that part there is this. is that especially if here's a victim who's just come to the pastor and she shares with the pastor about their situation. And the very next Sunday, the pastor then begins to preach, and they throw that out there. Well, that victim is probably feeling as small as so small that she can crawl up on the belly of an ant because mm-hmm. the pastor just basically put her out there. If the pastor wants to address this, number one, the pastor needs to do so in a way that, first of all, with almost with the victim's permission. Now, here's the thin line. This particular victim could be the first person to come to the pastor about a situation with domestic violence, which may have enlightened the pastor's eyes to understand that maybe this is a subject matter we need to talk about. But even in doing so, pastor has to be very careful that he or she is equipped enough to even address this subject matter. Perhaps he doesn't need to talk about it immediately that Sunday. Perhaps he would come out even better having a guest speaker to come in. Other things to address it so that now it's it looks like something that is being offered to the whole church and not that victim feeling as if that pastor is singling them out. And that's very important inside of that. So the timing, the approach, the tactfulness is crucial. Okay. Thank so I, I definitely thank you. I, I thank you for that as well. Uh, I want to add this part to it. One of the things that has to happen is that pastors and faith leaders, it's important to know who's out there in the community. What are the resources out there? There's oftentimes it seems to be such an adversarial relationship between faith leaders and secular organizations. So guess what? Although the church may not be in many cases equipped to handle it, they still are not willing to share it, you know, to seek out those that could help. And so they're unprepared, and oftentimes they they they, they recommend the wrong course of action. And what do I mean by that? Many times they find themselves saying the wrong thing. Or uh, they may try to engage the couple inside of couple counseling, say, well, let me just bring y'all, the two of you all in, and let me just, let me talk to y'all to get to the bottom of that. Well, that's a no-no. Because that endangers the the victim. The victim may not want to be in that situation. As a matter of fact, the victim doesn't want to be in that situation because, number one, they know that they won't be able to speak freely and openly. And in most cases, they know that if they do, that they're going to get it when they get back behind closed doors. So Mm -hmm. these are little things that pastors need to know because, in fact, you know, these things leads to danger for the victim. So pastors need to know who's out there, who are social services organizations out there, what organization, can I work with victim services, can I be a friendly referral for this uh, parishioner of mine, can I begin to say, let me walk you through this process. 
If I could walk her through the process, then guess what? She feels comforted. But that means that as a pastor, I need to know who's out there. Who is the victim mm-hmm. services? What are those numbers? I need to be able to have some type of conversation and relationship with them. For what other reason? If no other reason, I need to know where I am even sending them to. So when my parishioner has come to me, and now it's time to refer them out, I could have a friendly referral. I could say, listen, I know Carol down at the victim services. Here's the number of the victim services. Call. Ask to speak to Carol. Everything. I've worked with her before, or I know her, and I know that she won't steer your own, that you'll be in good hands. The victim mm-hmm. feels very much, the parishioner feels comforted. They feel they have support, and that's what happens. On the other yeah, hand, the danger is when pastor decides he wants to handle it himself, and he's not equipped. He gets through with a counseling session, and guess what? When the victim gets home, the argument breaks out again because now the husband or the significant other said, how dare you said that uh, in front of my face? Or why, how dare you tell the pastor, you know, about how I do this? Or how are you going to just go and, and, you know, and put me out like that? And now we have a problem. So there are a lot of do's and don'ts that needs to happen and things, and we address that in, uh, in both manuals that I, I've been a part of writing, and uh, we have some other things that we're developing now. And we're talking about protocol. Matter of fact, we're doing some things now about protocol for faith leaders. What is the proper protocol that one should take when there is an issue of domestic violence? So I hope I answered your question there, and uh, thank you so very much for calling. You did, and thank you. Absolutely. Eric code three two three seven eight four nine six three eight. That's how you reach us today. Eric code three two three seven eight four nine six three eight. You listen to Hope and Healing, a journey to wholeness. And if you have a question or comment, simply hit the number one on the keypad and we'll be right back after this break with more Hope and Healing. A journey to via internet, you're probably seeing a series of advertisements. Please click on those advertisements as they help us to continue to bring you the best in Soulful Talk Radio. By Choice to Fellowship on Facebook is a spiritual, drama-free, judgment-free fellowship forum for light minds to share in encouragement through testimonies, scriptures, music, prayer, worship, and fellowship. It is our desire to be an oasis of hope in the midst of the deserts and wilderness of life's most challenging experiences. We welcome you for prayer requests as well as your testimonies as we collectively operate as thermostats changing life's experience through God's leading in His Word. Join us as we empower lives and shape destinies. That's Destiny by Choice 2 Fellowship on Facebook. Through a search, you can find us. 
If you're listening via internet and you want to speak to the host, please dial 323-784-9638 and press 1 to be connected to the host. This is the soul of America Radio. I am Indy Harlem 2, and I am fighting the power on the soul of America Radio. Worldwide, coast to coast talk radio. This is the soul of America Radio. You're listening to Soar. And now, back to Hope and Healing, a journey to wholeness with your host, J.R. Thicklin. And welcome back to Hope and Healing. Hope and Healing, A Journey to Wholeness. This is your host, J.R. Thickland. I'm very glad that you've joined us here on the Soul of America Radio Network every Monday night, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, 8 o'clock Central, 7 o'clock Pacific, 6 o'clock Mountain, and no matter where you are around the globe, this is where you find us at here on Hope and Healing, A Journey to Wholeness. We're so grateful uh, for our last caller that called in, and Ramana has some very uh, good questions there, and uh, definitely the call lines is open up to you today, area code 323-784-9638. You don't have to give your name. Uh, you simply uh, can ask your question, or you can go forth and uh, definitely share, but we're always glad to have you on the air with us tonight. Is open for them, but we've been talking about why don't pastors confront domestic violence, and uh, we uh, definitely welcome you inside of this. I'm going to go to another caller, I believe, here, and I'm going to see if I can get the caller on. I may have, uh, I'm trying to get in here to see exactly this particular caller, so we bring them on the air now. Good afternoon. Welcome to Hope of Healing, a journey to hold us. You're on the air. Hi, yes, hello. How are you? I'm great. Um, I don't really have a question, but I do have a comment. Um, I, I'm listening to the show, and you're talking about pastors who may be having difficulty or may not know how to handle a domestic violence situation. Well, um, I do have something I'd like to share, um, an incident that took place some years ago. Not quite domestic violence, but... Um, the situation was a little bit of horrific for me, and uh, I was actually having a lot of trouble um, trying to find someone who I can confide in to help me. I think I was still in high school. Um, as I was, I was um, my senior year in high school, and after upon graduating, I had someone who was very dear to me, who was like a father figure to me. Actually, took me under his wings as his goddaughter, and. <clears throat> After graduating, noticed that him and his wife was no longer together, and um, still a baby, still very young, naive, he began to actually make passes at me, and one thing led to another that we actually formed um, a sexual relationship, and the whole situation, the whole thing of it was extremely weird, and it was hard for me at the same time because this person who I actually confided in and trusted was actually a man in authority um, and a household of faith. So he carried a very high, powerful name, and when people looked at him, they seen who he was in the ministry. And for me to carry that as far as um, 
here I am, you know, just barely out of high school. And when people look at us, they see him as my father or, you know, goddaughter. And behind closed doors, you know, this guy is actually sleeping with me as if I was his wife. And so many times I did want to go to my pastor at that time and let them know, okay, this this is what's going on. I'm totally confused. The guy was actually um, in his mid-40s, mid-late 40s. But I did not know how to go to my spiritual leaders. And I think the reason why I was having so much problem or so much trouble doing that is because um, the church where I was going, um, even as a young girl, we did have some young teens in the church who were, if I can say, kind of hot. And I didn't want to be classified as one of those that's forced to say, okay, you know what, you did this to yourself. You brought this on yourself. You know what you was doing. Um, how can you seduce this grown man um, who was married or also were you the cause of him breaking up his marriage? And I just didn't know, no, not um, I didn't know exactly how to handle that situation where I did go to someone um, who I trusted, a pastor's wife actually, and I confided in her, telling her, you know, this is what's going on. Um, I'm kind of scared, and I don't know what to do. I don't know what to think, and I want to get out of this. And I don't know exactly how I put myself in this situation because even upon talking to him, I would tell him, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm I'm afraid for different reasons. And, you know, aren't you a little bit afraid because people look at you in the position that you hold and here you are messing with me and I'm you know, just barely 18, um, almost 19. Um and he began to respond as far as, no, there's nothing wrong with this, and it's perfectly okay. And that really threw me completely off. I mean, just way off. But after sharing with her, she began to laugh and, you know, make a little joke out of it. Okay, you're the next Mrs. Whoever. And I looked at her like, I'm not coming to you to make fun of me, but I need your help because this is – very, very detrimental to my spiritual walk. I want out of this mess, and I don't know how to get out of it um, because I looked at him as a father figure um, in the church, and now the table has turned. And I mean, he never hit me. He never did any of those things. But the mere fact that I am sleeping with someone who's like a father to me because I never really grew up with a father. And so this man, I, you know, called him dad out of the love and the respect that I had for him. But, um, I mean, the table just completely turned. I saw him years, years later after that at another ministry, and it tore me, it tore me in half to see him up preaching and teaching. I mean, he's very anointed. He's very powerful in what he does. But, I mean, everything just started to play back in my head. Okay, I remember what you did and your reactions to when I questioned you about this also along with your Christianity and your faith and your belief. And your response just tore me to have, and I did not know what to do and how to deal. Um, and even after that incident, I did talk to my pastor at that present time, the leadership that I was in, and my pastor began to um, encourage me, actually, and pray with me and give me some insights on how I should go by handling the situation. But... um even now, I still think about that situation as far as how I actually allowed that to happen. I used to blame myself for that and to 
try to figure out, okay, what can I do now to help avoid other young women growing up in the ministry um, not to go down that same road? Because even now to this day, and I'm in my early 30s, I still have a problem, not with everyone, not with every male in the ministry, but I do have a serious problem with the male figure in ministry. And, I mean, not all of them are bad, but my thing is I try to avoid a lot of them as much as possible for that simple reason. I mean, I used to have a high respect for them, and not to say all of them are like that, but, I mean, you do have those one that are in the ministry who is like that. So um, just trying to deal and just help out other young ladies in the ministry and to be careful and to watch out for things like that because, I mean, a lot of things like that does happen in the ministry. And you're right, a lot of things go uncovered, um, a lot of things go unknown, unnoticed, they're not talking about it. So what do you do when you have men in the church who are messing with the younger ladies, even teenagers in the church, and they're actually afraid to go up to someone who may hold a position or who may not hold a position without getting judged or criticized um, or even blamed for that situation. How do you go about handling that? Well, you, you said a whole lot. And I, first of all, I want to thank you for even having the courage to even um, to share that with us. And I really appreciate that. And what you articulated to us goes even a step beyond even just domestic violence. In all actuality, here was, a, here was three things that happened in your case. Number one, it was the abuse of power. It was abuse of power and authority. The fact of the matter that you were a young girl, uh, there was a sense of being befriended that happened there. And perhaps that befriending was all calculated uh, because most abusers, and even in this case, I, 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 I put this individual right in the category of a sexual uh, molester uh, to a certain degree, although, you know, you sound like it may have started off sounding consensual. The problem is, is here's, a pro, here, here's a situation where this particular uh, man of authority, man of the cloth, operated from a sense of power. In other words, he used his position, I should say, his sense of position, his position of influence was a precursor inside of the way he handled you. You constantly talked about how much you revered him and you 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 know you 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 know you respected him, and so he operated from a a, a, a position of influence where he had the power. He knew that you, know, you had looked up to him. He knew that uh, you uh, uh, that you uh, adored or you trusted him, and he abused that trust. Many years ago, there was an article that was done, I believe, by Essence magazine, and it was called "When Pastors Pray." Not P-R-A-Y in this case, but rather P-R-E-Y. And that's when they prey on the vulnerability, when they prey on the, if you would, the, the weakness, they prey on the individual's intelligence. And that means that here in a case where you were definitely a baby to him, you know, uh, the fact that he was, you know, some almost 20-something years older than you were, and the fact that he continued to nurture that relationship that was built upon your trust of him, and he violated your trust. And then you're feeling bad because the fact you knew there were some young girls at the church that were somewhat promiscuous or you could say they was hot or whatever, 
but you didn't want to be labeled in that category, so now you're trapped by the fear of I can't go report this. And then when you finally do find someone that you trust reported to, they started minimizing it, making it a joke, saying, oh, you're the next Mrs. whatever. So it shows the fact that in this case, that the church was not ready to deal with it. There was a certain culture that was uh, that found this acceptable. Even inside of the person that didn't help you, they laughed about it and minimized it. So here's the thing. Obviously, this left a deep impact. It did. Your sense of trust of males, especially in ministry, has been compromised. It's been compromised mainly because this individual here did not show any sense of contrition, definitely no remorse or anything about what he was doing with you and doing to you. You know, according to what you said, you know, he basically tried to convince you that there was nothing wrong with what was happening between the two of you because he was the one that was the beneficiary of it. He knew to a certain degree that he played upon that. He played upon the, the sparkle in your eyes and looking up to him and reverencing him. And at some point or another, you realize, although you guys became close, maybe because of conversation, maybe because of spending time around him alone, and these things happen. But somewhere you realize yourself that you said you didn't want it to happen anymore. And when you went to him to tell him that you didn't want to do this anymore, he told you there was nothing wrong with it, and he continued to pursue to do it. So in this case here, knew exactly what they were doing. So how do you get beyond that if you're talking to a young lady? Number one, they need to understand this, that you don't have to live inside of a mistake. You don't have to live inside of it. If you engage in something that you realize that was wrong, you know, definitely understand, number one, forgive yourself. Try and find someone trusted that you can talk to. If this individual will not listen to you, you definitely got to find someone that you can talk to. And you got to let them know that, you know, this year is being perpetrated and you want it to stop. You don't want this to occur any longer. See, normally if the, if the church was constructed correctly administratively, there would be, if you would, a board of elders or a presbytery that one could go to and file a formal complaint. But when it's not like that, many times victims are left suffering right in the midst of the service, looking at a person in a pulpit that has taken advantage of them. And uh, this becomes a sense of moral. This is a moral, a moral collapse and a moral, uh, if you would, a, a very much of a, a moral flaw and a moral, uh, uh, just a moral defiance of uh, everything that one should believe in, in, in uh, inside of a their faith. And so I say to you that um, I, I pray that uh, definitely uh, you have found some healing and some molding and some healing and some mending inside of this situation uh, because of the fact that, you know, shepherds are called to care for sheep, but not to take advantage of the sheep. And uh, I offer up my prayers to you, but I offer up my prayers to individuals such as that that need help. And when there's no contrition and one continue to learn how to manipulate and get by with things, then guess what? Oftentimes that goes on until they are exposed or caught inside of everything. I hope I've answered your question today. Uh, did, did we uh, at least give you some food for thought there? 
Yes, you did. Um, and if I can also say one other thing, um, even then, um, I do remember before any of this took place, um, how he would ask me certain questions as far as dating-wise, um, am I dating someone or anything like that. Um, it just really didn't settle right with me at first, but I, you know, shrugged it off. Like I said, I was very young, naive, and didn't know any better. Um, and certain questions that he would ask that I knew, even though I wasn't raised with my father, that I knew that certain, you know, that fathers would never ask their daughters Um as far, as far as with my body, changes with my body and stuff. So, I mean, it was a very, very hard time um, dealing with that situation. I remember while in the midst of that happening, I did um, come back home because I moved away um, to go to school. And upon returning to my home church, I remember sitting in one of the services broken, just heavily broken because I know what was going on. And um, in the midst of the service, someone looked over to me and um, said, you don't look like yourself. It seems like something is going on with you. I'm not quite sure what it is, but it seems like you're, you know, you're troubled or something's wrong. And with tears in my eyes, I began to tell the person, I'm fine, you know, I'm, I'm okay, I'm I'm good. Um but yet and still she insisted that, okay, but I, I sense something else going on. And, you know, if you need to talk to me, I'm here. But because I know that the guy was actually visiting my church and holding revivals not only to my church but other churches, and I seen this person who was trying to help me, you know, respect this guy and, you know, holding the high self-esteem, and I thought to myself, how can I let her know, even though she's trying to help, that she won't turn on me because if I tell her this is what's really going on, this is what's bothering me, this is why my spirit is so vexed, this is why I'm not looking like my normal self, because I'm actually being intimate with this person who you hold in high esteem. Uh, the one who you, you know, allow to pray for you, to speak into your life and everything. And this is what's going on. Now, can you help me with this? So, I mean, I, I held that in for so long, and I literally had to pray and ask God, okay, you know what, you got to help me in this situation because if not, it's going to tear me apart. And even like I was saying, as far as in, in ministry now, um, I'm – I'm a little more receptive to the men in the ministry, every ministry I go to, but I always keep myself at a distance at the same time, um, not really trying to get close, whether they're married or not married, um, not trying to get too close, not trying to bond any type of relationship outside of the church. And even if I feel that they're getting a little too close or a little personal, whether they're married or single, um, or if they show any type of interest, or if I just pick up a hint of interest, I immediately withdraw myself from them and, you know, won't say anything for some days, um, very careful how I hug them or touch them, because I don't want it, I don't want anything to be said on my behalf knowing what my past history was. And not to say that they are like that, but 
that experience has kind of taught me to be very, very careful and not be too open, not saying that there's, there's, that something is wrong with being friendly, but I just don't want anything to kick off and I just want to be very careful uh, because I never know if this person has the same motive or not. And I have ran across some other ones in different churches who actually have the same motive. So that has taught me to be even extra careful um, and to be on guard. And not only that, because I have children, girls as well, um, and boys, um, to be very, very careful um, how they deal with people they know in the ministry and also how they deal with strangers in the ministry. And not to be so easily and readily um, receptive to call anyone their godfather, their godmother, or to just link up because the person seems nice. So um, that's some of the things that I kind of go over with my kids on how to not be too friendly with people, but just sit down and watch. And if you have any questions, you know, talk to mommy or anything, because I don't want that pattern to be repeated in my kids. Well, I tell you, you definitely you're taking the necessary precautions, but I want to turn this back to where we started from because so often that's what happens, that people that end up getting victimized, all of a sudden they're the one left with or expected to make the changes. They're the one expected to be precautious about this. They're the one expected to be careful about that. When we, It takes all the attention and responsibility off of the person who's perpetrating. Any leader male leader absolutely knew better. And I want to say they knew better because of the fact, uh, first of all, the advantage of, so let's talk about violation. They violated trust. They violated boundary. So those are things that they violated that had nothing to do with you, had nothing to do with uh, whether you were cute, attractive, whatever it, uh, it may have been. It had nothing to do with that. This had to do with an individual who crossed the lines. We often talk about blurred lines. Well, those lines were blurred in more than one way. So the onus really falls on that individual to have done the right thing. They violated they violated your trust. As a young lady, you uh, you trusted them. And, and it's the same thing with anyone else. None of us should have to walk on eggshell in fear of someone else not knowing how to conduct themselves. And in this case here, this is a classic case of an individual who did not care a classic case of individual who was simply worried about not getting caught and about their own benefits. And so the beautiful part about it is that as you have come along in life and as you have grown in knowledge and grown in skill and grown in, uh, in wisdom and things, you are making the necessary precaution in your life. And I really want to thank you for your call. And not only do I want to thank you for your call, but I also want to say to you that inside of that, which you've shared tonight, is the fact that you continue to be a voice of uh, those who recognize the fact that your self-worth, uh, your self-worth begins with just that, you recognizing yourself and that not allow any individual in any way to manipulate you or to do the things that will cause you to feel violated by them. And so I thank you once again for your call. Absolutely uh, for sharing with us tonight. 
Area code 323-784-9638. That's how you reach us. Area code 323-784-9638. You listen to Hope and Healing, a journey to hold us, and we're right at the top of the hour. We're going to take our last break, and I'm going to come right back after this commercial break, and we're going to take more of your calls. If you want to call in, area code 323-784-9638. If you have a question and a comment for me, the host, simply hit number one on your keypad. That lets our producer know that you want to come on the air, and we'll get you on the air. We'll be right back after this commercial break. You listen to Open Hill. Uh, 
right now that uh, your silence only perpetuates the violence and that you can break the cycle of violence in many ways. And we want to make sure that you're part of that breaking of the cycle today. And so as we're getting ready to go in our final stretch here, I'm going to go. We have a caller that's on the air, uh, that's on the line. We're going to bring in a number ending in 1633. Good evening. Welcome to Hope and Healing. You're on the air. Thank you. Good evening. I simply have been listening to the show, and it's been tremendously insightful. One of the things that I would like to share is when you're talking about the topic of clergy uh, dealing with domestic violence, many times uh, i found that clergy has not made themselves educated as to how to deal with couples or with individuals that are coming in from uh, spectrums of domestic violence or even any forms of abuse. It's a topic that many simply believe they can preach it out or cast it out or give you uh, numerous scriptures to help uh, what's plaguing you or dealing with the situation. But um, I believe in balance and I believe in wholeness uh, naturally as well as spiritually. And my specific instance in the area of through domestic violence, I went to uh, my pastors at the time, which were a husband and wife team, but the the female pastor was actually the founding pastor of the church. I began to share what I had experienced and what was going on in my home. And the information that was released to me was simply I should have been quiet or I should not have upset my spouse and kept the situation quiet. Well, as years went along, I did what the pastor said. It still never helped the situation. But as years went along, I grew more in the understanding, uh, coined the phrase, hurt people hurt people. I was very upset and hurt tremendously because of the erroneous information that was given to me at such a critical time because I looked to my pastors to have the spiritual wisdom and knowledge as well as the natural wisdom and knowledge. And oftentimes many people in church look to their clergy or to their shepherd to be able to give them solutions to what's going on in their life not just spiritually, but naturally as well. So we as leaders and as pastors must make ourselves knowledgeable to information that can help the natural man as well as the spiritual person. As time gone along, I've learned that that female pastor could only give me what she she possessed. And that was she was going through physical and domestic abuse in her marriage. So, therefore, she could only give me what she possessed, and time had to teach me, and learning and growing uh, taught me that if we're going to function in roles of leadership, we must make ourselves very knowledgeable and balanced as to what's going on inside the church as well as outside the church. 
Well, you hit it right on the head. You're exactly right. And it's one of the things why, you know, inside of the work that we do is that we that we have provided training and we continue to do it, uh, training for pastors and faith leaders. I, as I sit here, I have one of the manuals that I've written called Introductory Faith-Based Training on Domestic Violence for Pastors and Faith Leaders. It is trainings that we are doing around the country, and we do it in special, uh, uh, definitely uh, areas of concentration and uh, concentration, I should say, because of the fact of the need to educate clergy. I think you hit it so on point. Here's something that we often hear clergy say, and pastors normally use this scripture in Hosea when they are trying to correct the people, and they say, listen, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. And they don't finish. It goes on how they perish because they reject truth or they reject things. And that's exactly what I share with pastors, that your people, that God have assigned to you are perishing for the lack of knowledge, your lack of knowledge of how to deal with practical issues. And so there must be an education of pastors understanding the dynamic of domestic violence, the impact of domestic violence, understanding there are certain things that you do and certain things that you cannot do when addressing domestic violence. And when you get that type of, uh, when you get that type of, if you would, misguided advice and all the well-intentioned it becomes a barrier to healing, a barrier to safety, a barrier to wholeness, because an uninformed clergy could be, I mean, could be directly responsible, literally, for an individual not only losing their lives, but staying entrapped inside an abusive relationship. So why many times have you heard me say it? Well, we heard me say it at the beginning of this broadcast. I was talking about John Shore, and John Shore talked about this inside of his uh, uh, piece that he wrote on why pastors struggle in confronting domestic violence. And one of the things I said once again is that, uh, you know, he talked about the fact of the many women that have come to him and talked about the fact when they went to their pastors, their pastors either blew it off or their pastor said, you need to be more submissive. You need to obey what he has said. You need to not make them upset. And the more you hear that, all the responsibility is now being put on the person that's been abused. There is no accountability for the person that's doing the abuse. And so we have to change those narratives, and we change it through education. We change it through understanding the dynamics. And then how do we bridge it with the Word of God? So let's just bring it to very clearly. If God is love, then tell me what part of domestic violence is indicative of love. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that talks about love, and it talks about love, you know, uh, love, you know, uh, love does not hurt, love does not uh, boast, it does vaunt it not itself. When it talks about all the attributes of love, it says nothing about love being combative. It says nothing about love being abusive. It says nothing about love being that way. And so in the most purest definition, we got to understand domestic violence is just that, it's a critical issue, and it's an issue that we must deal with. It's an issue that we must address. It's an issue that we cannot allow to go untouched and unnoticed, and uh, and it's critical in this day and time. And I really appreciate that, caller. You you you're, you're right on point tonight. Inside of that, did you have another question or comment? Uh, no, absolutely. I, I just simply want to say thank you for the work that you're doing, and uh, especially with this topic, to bring to light 
what is really going on inside the church that uh, we make ourselves as leaders and as pastors, as clergy, uh, more aware and knowledgeable how to really help individuals that come with uh, different forms of issues because not just domestic violence, although this is the topic uh, on on this evening, but uh, as the previous caller stated, uh, those type of topics as well, we need to become more educated and you so greatly put the one scripture that many use as a platform, but we have to read the whole scripture in order to be able to really understand where the word of God fits correctly into the situation. So, again, I I thank you so much for the work that you're doing and helping other individuals come out of this place of of, of darkness and this hush-hush topic of domestic violence. Absolutely, and thank you so very much for calling. And as we often say, and I want to make sure that everyone hears this, this is such a, a major part of so many things here, is that we have to understand this. We have to understand that inside of dealing with the issue of domestic violence, there's a great responsibility. And that responsibility falls on each and every one. The, every one of us that would be uh, so about the, the, the ministry, the ministry of Jesus Christ is about that. He talked about binding up the brokenhearted. He's talking about restorative sight to the blind. He talks about setting the captives free. Each of those things are even attributes of victims of domestic violence. So we have to continue on inside of the uh, the work here. And that's what it is, a work that continue to bring hope and healing to those that are impacted. Thanks so very much again. You listen to Hope and Healing, a journey to wholeness. I'm your host, J.R. Thickland, and we are going to take our final break here at this moment, and we get ready to wrap up here, but we'll be right back after the break. For those of you that would like to uh, uh, write us, or those of you that would like to, you can email us at jthicklin at soulofamericaradio.com or jthicklin at destinybychoice.org. Either one of those will reach us tonight, and we'll be right back after this last commercial break. You listen to Open Healing, our journey to wholeness, this is your host, J.R. Thicklin, and I'm very glad that you've joined us at this point. And uh, as that commercial is coming there, it looks like it's spinning there, so that must be a production issue there. So that commercial will be with us. I want to make sure that you are part of this process. So after this commercial break, we will be with you, uh, right back with you with Hope and Healing, a journey to wholeness. At least that's what I think we're going to do inside of the studio today. Um as I believe that um, there is just a, a little technical glitch with that, and we'll get beyond that. That's that's not a major problem there inside of what we're doing. So we want to make sure that this becomes uh, uh, part of our process and that inside of what we're doing that we will continue to uh, bring to you information that will change uh, the way that we do things and because we know that domestic violence is a situation that doesn't go away. Uh, it transcends all nationality, every walk of life. And so, therefore, domestic violence, it is our business. And we all have a responsibility inside of addressing this issue of domestic violence. And uh, that is what is so uh, important inside of this. Now, I want to make sure that we're still here because, according to this, we have lost, have we lost our signal? 
I believe we've lost our signal. Are we there? I'm going to trust that the engineer will let us know that we're still here on the airway at this time. And as we do try to uh, get ready to go to that commercial break, um, that we will be able to get back on the air with you if we're off the air, because that's what we're waiting to see if we're off or if we're still on the air with you tonight. Uh, hope you're healing a journey to hold us. Uh, you're listening to us right here on the Soul of America Radio Network. And, um, we're just about at that part of the hour of the show that, uh, let's see, I think that we're still there. Uh, I'm told that we are. So we're still on, and I'm so glad that you're held on with us. And we're going to go right back to this final commercial break of the night, and we'll wrap up for the night. Right for this break. And healing a journey to wholeness with J.R. Thicklin is coming back right after this. You're listening to the Soul of America Radio LLC. This is the one and only Soar. violence in her lifetime. Every year, nearly three million children witness domestic violence right in their homes. Domestic violence is most likely to occur between the hours of 6 p.m. and 6 a.m. More than 60% of domestic abuse incidents happen right at home. Survivors of domestic violence face high rates of depression, sleep disturbance, anxiety, flashbacks, and other emotional distress. If you or someone that you know is a victim of domestic violence, or if you think someone is, reach out to them. If you are a victim, reach out to somebody you can call the National Hotline right now at 1-800-799-7233. That's 1-800-799-7233. If you didn't have a chance to write that number down, call Jay Thicklin right now at 1-323-784-9638. Speak to J. 
today right now at 323-784-9638. And now, Hope and Healing, A Journey to Wholeness, continues with your host, J.R. Dicklin. Journey to Oldest. This is your host, J.R. Thicklin. I'm so very glad that you've joined us tonight. Very interesting show tonight. Great callers and great in, uh, individuals that have called in. And thank you for your time and thank you for everything that is going on. Once again, if you'd like to reach out to us, you can always reach us at jthicklin at soulofamericaradio.com or jthicklin at destinybychoice.org. I invite you once again to visit our website. Uh, uh, Facebook pages there, Destiny by Choice 2 Fellowship, which is a great page of inspiration, uh, hope, and just all the great things that makes up a drama-free spiritual network. And then I also want you to go by our Domestic Violence, It Is Your Business Facebook page, Domestic Violence, It Is Your Business, and be a part of that today. And until next time, I'm going to say to you, be safe. Know that God loves you. We've given you also the hotline numbers in our last commercial. But most of all, I want you to understand this, is that you can, you can begin again, and you can come out of what you're in. And let me tell you, wholeness is possible. And as you start this journey, may wholeness be yours. And until next time, this is J.R. Thickman, and I look forward to being with you. God bless and good night.
Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.